0: Pac-12 week two is in the books. Intra-conference play got going. Washington loses to Cal at home in a weather-delayed game. Larry Scott almost got his 9 a.m. football game with how late into the night that game was going and the emergence of Keaton Slovis. He is here, he is for real, USC destroyed Stanford. We're going to talk about that, and we are going to talk about these Mountain West teams that keep picking on the big bad Pac-12. Should we bring some of these teams into the fold so we can say that we're not losing to a group of five teams anymore? I think it might be time. With George Reister, I'm Ralph Amsden. This is the Pac-12 Apostles Podcast. Let's get into it.
1: First of all, we want to say thank you. Thank you to all you Pac-12 apostles. Thank you for all the people who share the podcast. We are here because we love the Pac-12 conference. We support the Pac-12 conference, but we're also here to tell the truth and be honest about the Pac-12 conference. We are underserved. We don't get the respect that we deserve, but we are here and we need you. You guys, please make sure you share the feed, tell a friend about the podcast, download it, and Do everything that you can to grow it because we need to grow the Pac-12 footprint in media and not let all the other conferences dominate it and get all their teams moving up the rankings because it just matters more to them. It's got to matter more to us.
0: I tell you what, George, I'm excited that people are jumping on board with this, that they're listening to. You know, to what we have to say that they're participating on Twitter. Um, I, I really enjoy doing this podcast with you. And the people that listen are what make it a whole lot of fun because, you know, we're, we, we like to pretend that we're we're smart. But they're out there. They're watching all these different games. And they'll let us know when we're wrong. And I think that's probably my favorite part about it is just, you know, getting get, getting called out and people that are listening, feeling like they can participate in this discussion, that it's not just you and me going back and forth.
1: Yep. And you guys can always hit us up at Pac-12 Apostles on Twitter or send us an email, i'm mad at unafraidshow.com. I am M-A-D at unafraidshow.com. Now on to week well, the end of week two. On we're in week three right now. Ralph, what was your biggest surprise of the weekend?
0: Uh, my biggest surprise of the weekend is probably Colorado beating Nebraska at a Nebraska home game that took place in Colorado with LaVisca Chenault doing absolutely nothing to help the cause. Um, that I So it's not so much that Colorado won, because we watched Colorado win last year, um, but it's that they did it having their entire stadium look like, you know, it was filled with red Kool-Aid, and and LaVisca Chenault not only didn't really help, he kind of hurt the cause with a huge fumble there toward the end of the game, Um and so, I mean, that that's a huge surprise to me. I, I never would have said – if somebody came to me and said, like, hey, you think Colorado could beat Nebraska, I'd say, like, they could. Do you think they could do it if LaVisca Chenault is, like, a net negative? And I know that that's not true. I know that they bracketed him all game long, and that opened things up for other players. Uh, but at the same time, I'd be like, no, nah, there's no way. There's no way if he had, like, five catches for 30 yards and a lost fumble that Colorado wins this game. And they did it.
1: Yeah, I, I agree. That was a surprise, too, because – Especially after Nebraska was up seventeen nothing at halftime, I did not think that Colorado was gonna win. I was like, oh, this is the same Colorado team that lost seven straight games and didn't get to a bowl game last year, but they rallied back. I was very surprised by that. But the biggest surprise, Ralph, I know that you are going to gloat. I know that you are going to, you know, run around naked down the street when I say this. But my biggest surprise of the weekend was UCLA and their inability (laughs) to score or defend against San Diego State, who I believe only scored six points the previous week against Weber State. I am just flabbergasted. I am bewildered. I am confused. I don't know what the hell is going on in Westwood. I know that Dorian Thompson-Robinson is not playing well at all and needs to be replaced. But I don't know if there's anybody better. So I've been waiting on this all week. Uh you were even prompted on Twitter to to um to take a victory lap on UCLA. So go go ahead, Ralph. Let us let me have it. Let me have it.
0: Well, here's the deal, and I think that a lot of people probably think like, oh, I'm just hating on UCLA, or it was just a guess. I look at this as a three year process. I picked them. I actually thought they were going to be a lot better than they were last year. So I can't gloat about being right all the time when I thought that they would be a lot more competitive in year one Uh, with Chip Kelly. I didn't realize how much he was going to wreck stuff in the house in order to renovate. I didn't know he was going to be tearing the thing down to its studs. you know. Uh, And so once he did that, once he tore it all down, I said, okay, I need to recalibrate what it is my expectations are for him and this team. And so when I said 1-11, and 11, it wasn't me hating. It was me saying, like, all right, well, you're the one that, that that cleared the forest and started planting seeds for new growth. But right now it's not a forest. It's just some flat land with some seeds in the ground. you know. And so I'm, I, I wasn't expecting them to really have any success. And it was a schedule that included a Cincinnati team that they lost to last year. It's a schedule that includes San Diego State, who is just a bully when it comes to comes to the Pac-12, and they still have Oklahoma on there. And my thought was once if they weren't able to get out of non-conference play with any victories, then some of that would probably carry over into the season. I think you'll see improved play from them as the season goes on the way that you did last year, but I don't think it's going to show up as wins. And if UCLA fans can be patient, I think that you'll see an enormous step forward next year. What I did not expect was for, for Dorian for just for this offense to look as bad as it is and for them to not really have that much of a commitment to the run game. Um it, it, it's they've they've looked pathetic when I thought that they would just be worse than other teams. Does that make yeah, sense? I
1: I understand that. It it has been just totally surprising to me. That has just been I and I just knew. I was like, Ralph is gonna come in and he's just gonna be like, ha. <laughs> I told you so look at it, all this stuff. But I know that you were in for a shocker because I know, I know that even though you weren't going to run around naked down the street about UCLA, I know that you were just waiting and itching and just, and just so excited to, to talk trash about Washington beating California and about (laughs) Oregon and uh, Oregon state beating Hawaii and i told you both of those things were not going to happen and yep. and and i know that you just had to just turn turn around with your tail between your legs like oh my god i can't even say anything now
0: and you ever sleep with a frown <laughs> like you ever you ever go to sleep just like grumpy and yeah. so this is this I'll, let me paint you a picture I'm driving back from Tucson I got two kids in the car who have never been to a college football game before so I just wanted to since ASU played on Friday and I cover a lot of prep football I don't do the Friday college football thing at a principal and so I'm like well it looks like I got this Saturday night off so I'll drive down to Tucson I'll introduce the kids to Khalil Tate you know I'm a big fan Khalil and Tate so and And then, like, NAU is made up of, like, 60% players that I covered extensively at the high school level. So I've sat behind the NAU bench, had fun going back and forth with some of those players. It was a real good time. My kids, they got to my, my kids' first ever college football game. They're sitting next to the NAU bench where all the players are, like, chatting at them and at me And the cheerleaders are right in front of them. 105 total points are scored. The fireworks are going off the entire time. They got that vendor food everywhere. Like this experience being right next to the band that every football game they go to from here on out, is going to be terrible. Like they got, they got like probably the most fun thing right there in their very first game. And my wife as an ASU alum was pretty frustrated that they, you know, they're, they're probably going to have like some deep seated uh, U of a fandom in them now, just because their first game was down there in Tucson. Um, But I'm driving back from this game and the kids are falling asleep in the car and I'm trying to like, you know, sneak a glance at my phone here and there. And I was feeling really good. I was like, oh, my gosh, not only was I right about most of the stuff that happened, like I'm going to be right about Washington and I'm going to be right about uh, Oregon State, you know, going to Hawaii and getting a win. this podcast is going to be a breeze for me tomorrow. (laughs) Like, And so by the time I got home, I like got out of the car turn the TV on and it was right as Cal hit that field goal and then I look over to the see the Hawaii Oregon State score and it was just like, oh, it's like two in the morning. I'm I, I I'm no longer able to gloat. And uh and not only that, like these are two things you told me would happen. And so I went to bed a little bit grouchy last night. I'm not gonna lie.
1: Well me, I went to bed well, I woke up grouchy this morning only because I was a little bit tired. I had to be at Fox Sports Radio because I was doing the national broadcast from 6 a.m. to 8 a.m. Pacific time. So I had to get up at 4.15 and be at the studio at 5 o'clock. So I was already tired. And I didn't go to bed until after Cal kicked the field goal. And if my wife listens to this, then she is going to know and she's going to be upset with me because what happened is this. So right before... The uh because she's always like, George, you need to go to sleep. You need to go to sleep. But I can't on Saturdays when games are on. It's not possible. So she falls asleep in the bed. The baby's in the bassinet, the little snoo thing, shaking away, making white noise. Everybody's asleep. I'm watching the game. Everything's peaceful. Mind you, the game was supposed to be over hours and hours ago. I wasn't going to watch the Oregon State Hawaii game until this morning or like, you know, kind of skim through it, see, see everything that happened. So but I'm invested in this Cal and Washington game because, A, I said Cal was going to win and B, because I saw the game last year. I knew it was going to be a dog fight. And then but I was going to go to sleep earlier because Washington was up 10 zero. So I was like, okay, not not going to worry about it. Then my wife actually probably mm, right before probably about. In game time it was only a minute, but in real life time it was like 7 8 minutes. Before they kicked the field goal, the baby woke up for a second. And the baby woke up and I went over there to go get him and give him his pacifier or whatever, and the baby ended up waking up Denisha. And she was like, "George, why are you up?" I was like, "Oh baby, the uh the baby woke up, so I got <laughs> up and because I didn't want her to be like You have been up all this time. It is 1.30, 1.45 in the morning. You have to get up and go to work at 4.15. So I was not having it. Hopefully she skips this part of the podcast because that's the truth. I was up until the game was over, but I did get a win. I did get a win, which is crucial and important.
0: Was that Real quick, was that the right thing to do, kick off at 10.30? And did it hurt Washington, do you think? To not have all the fans back there, maybe. Uh, I, I mean, Washington
1: Stadium is super loud. I mean, it is one of the better stadiums in terms of fan experience. And when we did our conference rankings, what we did our conference stadium rankings. So if you guys want to go back a couple episodes, look for the conference stadium rankings where we rank how much a stadium is has historical value and how much it influences winning and losing. In games and Seattle was high on the list. I think for for both of us because it's loud, it's it's cold sometimes. Sometimes it snows. Like weather becomes an issue. There's a big thing in that stadium, so I do think that the crowd was a factor. But I think the biggest factor was just Cal's defense. Like they were just unrelenting, and that's what you know. I like that was one of the biggest surprises for you of the weekend. But I just knew that that was going to happen um but the but the before we get into the games got a question for you ralph should the mountain west teams particularly hawaii because hawaii has already knocked off oregon state and they've knocked off arizona so if they beat washington this week do you think that we should include hawaii in the pac-12 power rankings for the rest of the season
0: i think we have to i think if if Hawaii beats if Hawaii beats Washington, Arizona and Oregon state, I think that at that point we just have to we we it's going to be a, a 13 <laughs> and and there what's funny is Hawaii is probably going to struggle in Mountain West play just because every time they have a road game, they have to travel, you know, further than anyone else just to play the yeah. nearest schools. And so you know, it's always hard for them to really continue that momentum. But no, I think we have to. I think Hawaii Hawaii, is part of it from here on out. That's a deal we'll strike with with, with the University of Hawaii. And the fact that they're out there streaming their games on Facebook and still beating uh, Pac-12 teams. And I, oh, man, that's oh, yeah. making me sick. The, the, it, I know that you're out in Hawaii. I know that there are distractions. But this is a team that doesn't play defense. And oh, man, I just can't. I can't anymore with with uh, Pac-12 teams just losing to these mountain West schools.
1: Yeah. We have an article up on Unafraidshow.com. I'm going to put the link in the show notes about the Pac-12 and the mountain West and the recent history and how Larry Scott tries to gloss over this. And it's a problem. And I don't like how he's handling the Pac-12 mountain Westing. It's not okay. But, uh, Ralph, so I guess we'll start at the beginning. We'll start on Friday, the game that you were at covering, I, and it was just disgusting. It was disgusting. It was terrible. It I, I could this game deserved to be on Friday night. Arizona State should be happy that all the recruits couldn't actually watch this game because they were playing Sacramento State, and they won nineteen to seven. And it wasn't and it wasn't like that they had command of the game all game because it was nine to zero in the fourth quarter. San Diego State score uh Sacramento State scores. And if it weren't for an Eno Benjamin late touchdown, like Sacramento State could have stolen this game. Like what what the hell is going on? Arizona State's offensive line looks terrible. I don't know how they win Pac-12 games if you can't dominate Sacramento State, which is an FCS team.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, I so I watched that game at midnight. Uh, that, that was uh, – so two nights in a row watching uh, Pac-12 games into the next day. But I was out at a couple of high school games on Friday night, watched a Texas commit Bajon Robinson rush for 500 yards in one game. So just another another guy who is really really good in a Pac-12 footprint that's going to uh, that's going to a school out of this conference. So that's a little bit frustrating. And then uh, went home, fired up the ASU game, and oh my goodness, it put me to sleep in the second quarter. I had to wake up early in the morning just to finish. And I mean, here's what I'll say: I'll, I'll say I'll say three things, and you tell me if you disagree with them. First of all, if Jason Thompson, uh, the quarterback for um, Sacramento State, if he was accurate, because ASU's defense is getting a lot of credit for this win. But the truth is they didn't really get a lot of pressure on the quarterback. And if he was accurate, they might have won that game. But he he was not an accurate downfield passer. Like he had some embarrassingly bad throws. Yes. Um, and so I I I want to give credit to Sacramento State there, and I want to just sort of dispel that ASU's out there playing perfect defense. Because ASU's defense is really good especially the linebackers and defensive backs. Um, but, I mean, if he was on target, ASU would have been in serious trouble. And then I want to go to the other side and say, like, it's, it, it's not as bad offensively as – I mean, because ASU fans were pulling their hair out, calling for offensive coordinator Rob Likens' job, uh, which happens feels like it happens every single week out here. Um, but I will say this. The Pac-12 screwed up by not having goal line cameras. Yes. They really screwed what up. The hell, ASU, what the hell was that? ASU got robbed of a touchdown where their, where their third string running back caught a pass from Jaden Daniels, was four and a half feet deep into <laughs> into the end zone and got the ball popped out, and there was no good angle to give ASU that touchdown. Not one. Um the other thing is ASU got a touchdown taken away based on a rule that I wasn't aware that the Pac-12 was going to go, you know, all in on enforcing. Oh, that blindside block. Which blind. is wide receivers. Yeah. Uh, so wide receivers are no longer allowed to make contact. And, I, you know, I don't, I don't mind I this rule. mind Because I'm – really? Because there's just not like – well, I get it from you from a tight end position. It would probably, you probably would have gotten in trouble all the time for this. But it was like the ones they got flagged for were kind of away from the ball and didn't really affect the play that much. And you just hate you hate to see a dude get blown up, who has nothing to do with the play. I love a good clean block where you run through somebody and just like destroy them. But if it happens like way away from the ball, it was like, hey, what you're going to get yeah, a flag thrown? And for that what? is
1: unnecessary when it's way away from the the play. But if you're on like a toss sweep or a or a special teams play like a punt return. That's kind of the only way that you can block them. I mean, what are you supposed to yell? Hey, 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 I'm coming. Turn around.
0: Look at me. Look at right. me. Exactly. 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 But, and then, so, I mean, you have a touchdown taken away because of this rule that they're going to be heavily enforcing, which is good to know, I think, for everybody. So, hopefully, other teams were paying attention to that. And then the third thing is ASU had the ball inside the five, and Eno Benjamin had a clear path to the end zone, and Tommy Hudson, the ASU's tight end, just like stands up. And watches a guy run past him and tackle. Oh, he you know, destroyed him. Yeah, up, yeah. And so, like, uh, th- those three plays, three plays. That's it. The, uh, nothing else about the game changes. Only those three plays. If you change the outcome of those three plays, it's a thirty-seven to seven game okay. instead of a nineteen to seven hold, game. Hold on. And I don't like playing. I don't. I don't like playing the what if game, right? But those are specific correctable things. And so, e- I think it. ASU fans should go from puking their guts out to just feeling a little nauseous. Oh no! When it comes to the no. offensive performance, I think. But on the offensive line, on the offensive line, you could not be more right, and it was their best offensive linemen that were having the worst day. Yeah,
1: I would. If I'm an Arizona State fan, I am terrified right now because for a couple of reasons. Number one, you were 100 right, Ralph. If Sacramento State's quarterback Thompson, if he were even. Re- Reasonably accurate, they would have had their hands full. They may have lost this game. Had Sacramento, I mean, even with those plays going right, had Sacramento State had a and a reasonable quarterback, they would have put up a much better fight in this game. Like this game would have got got dicey. The problem, and then the other part about Arizona State is, is the fact that it. We all know that. Eno Benjamin is a special back. But the fact that they couldn't
0: run so, the ball. So do all the defenses. But the fact that <laughs> – If we know it, everybody else they knows They could it. not
1: – and it wasn't to a fault of his because running backs can only do so much when there's no blocking. They could not run the football successfully against Sacramento State. Successfully, consistently, I mean. Eno you know Benjamin, 24 carries, 69 yards. And if you take away that long 72-yard touchdown – he, he didn't even have 100 all-purpose yards. It was a complete shutdown, not to any fault of his own. The offensive line just looks – I mean, it looked bad. They couldn't protect Jaden Daniels, and he made a bonehead play that he got away with, a bonehead play. He tried to – he threw the ball, I think, to Eno Benjamin while he was getting
0: sacked. Yeah. And – that was wild boy yeah.
1: stuff. <laughs> and and the coaches were, it looked like he fumbled the ball. So you know that they didn't yell at him then. They're like, come on, man, you got to hold on to the ball. But when they watch the film and they see that he actually tried to throw that ball while being twisted around, and it looked like he was trying to throw it to the lineman, It was absolutely an awful play that did not result in awfulness. So I am down on Arizona State when we get to the Pac-12 power rankings. I'm telling you right now, Ralph, I'm down on them. I didn't like it. I didn't like the fact that they only, that they didn't do great, that they only scored 30 points against Kent State too. So you follow 30 to 7 Kent State, 19 to 7 against Sac State, which should have been more points. I don't like it, Ralph. I am, if I'm an Arizona State fan, I'm not necessarily calling for the offensive of coordinator's job because he can't block for them. Maybe there's just a shortage of talent on the offensive line right now and you're just going to have to deal with it.
0: I'm I don't I mean I'm I was shocked by by the fact that again they had two freshman offensive linemen out there and those weren't the guys who were screwing up. So they had moved their all Pac-12 center out to to left tackle because they felt better about just having the experience there instead of playing him at his absolute best position. And um, he didn't look good. So if he doesn't look good,
1: that's a bad
0: coaching. You think team. so? Because I've, I've heard the argument the other way. He, he's a center. He can't he play tackle. Like so, he's 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 their tallest offensive lineman too. And so they just wanted experience out at left tackle to protect the freshman. I've heard the argument that you want your best five, and then you hear the argument that you want to play people at their best position. And uh, after you know, I like the best five argument, but after watching that game on Friday, I don't know.
1: Yeah, you you want your best five out there, but you have to put them in positions to be successful. And if you're trying to play your your center, like he may be the number one center, but he may be the fourth best tackle. You know what I mean? Like, so you put your best five out there, but it's at the positions that are optimal for them. Um, The next game up, we got northern Illinois and we got Utah uh Utah won this game 35 to 17. It was it, it was at Utah at Rice Eccles. Um I I I felt the same way kind of about this game. I didn't like the fact that Utah gave up 17 points in the first half to Northern Illinois who who doesn't score the ball really well. Their defense after that tightened up. They didn't give up another point. But I am still very unimpressed. Aside from Zach Moss, I am unimpressed by the Utah offense. I am like Tyler Huntley is a decent quarterback, but he's going to be the difference between Utah winning the Pac-12 or having a possibility to win in the Pac-12 and just making the Pac-12 championship.
0: Yeah, I, I think I had probably the opposite take on this game as you Which is when I watched Sacramento State, Arizona State, I was like, oh, both these teams are playing terrible. And when I watched um, the the first half of the Utah Northern Illinois game, I was like, oh, both these teams are pretty good teams. And um, I think that you know you 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 have that thing where over time, you know, I've, I've heard Colin Cowherd talk about this a bunch of where like there's a reason you play four quarters, and 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 anybody can compete for a little while, but. Over time, that's where you see the true separation and the true talent. And, and Utah's defensive line in that second half, my God, did they go to work. And, and I mean, any time that they have a lead of uh, two scores or more, that's going to be so much trouble for anybody they play. But I did end up seeing some vulnerabilities in Utah's defense in this game. I think that uh, speed could kill them. I really do. And I know that's not like a huge hot take or anything. Speed can kill anybody, but watching some of the, some of the quicker Northern Illinois players, especially like the running backs on the outside catch passes um, that I think that's really their weakness. And it's a good thing for Utah that they don't play Oregon this year Um, because I don't really see anybody else bringing that elite speed. Uh, But if Utah can grind down and Huntley can do what he does, which is like one rushing touchdown, one passing touchdown a game, if he can do those things and they can build up a little bit of a lead and just attack defensively, then they're going to be in a really, really good position. I Honestly, like. I thought they looked good playing their brand of football. I know that it's not the greatest offense in the world, and they could certainly be better. Um, but when, uh, you and I, I think, expected this game to be a little bit closer, and for a moment it was – But with Bradley and I had like three sacks. And I think uh, most of the damage that the whole defensive line did was in the second half. And if if they can just get a lead on people, they're going to be super dangerous.
1: Well, that's the problem is getting a lead against the elite teams in the Pac-12. They're like you said, they're they're lucky that they avoid uh, Stanford and Oregon this year because those are two of the better defenses in the Pac-12. But they do have to play against Cal. And they do have to play against Washington. And neither one of those teams is going to give an inch on defense. And so those are the games that Tyler Huntley is going to have to be great. He's going to have to. Because if he's not, they are going to lose three games this year. I mean, I don't even – I know that Utah fans are a little bit upset to hear that because, you know, their team is ranked 13th. They are – well, After Well, going into last week, they were 13th in the AP poll. Everybody's excited. I get it. I get it. But you have to forecast out. And I know that you can only see your team through rose-colored glasses. But as an honest outside observer, I'm looking at this team. I'm saying, yes, they're hard-nosed. They're tough. They're talented on defense especially. But you need your quarterback to win. Otherwise, it's going to look much like the Pac-12 championship last year. I know Shelly was in but you're going to get the same thing. The next game that we have up, though, is the game that shocked the world, shocked the Pac-12, except for me. You had Cal going up to Seattle on the heels of beating Washington last year 12-10. to They go up to Washington again. Jacob Eason... Who you are a fanboy of. I think you I, almost as much as Khalil Tate got absolutely shut down, like I told you he would. He's not an elite quarterback. He finished 18 for 30, 162 yards. They kept hitting him, and then he started throwing Aaron balls. It was, he threw an interception. It was not a good look for Jacob Eason. Cal exposed him. I know you must agree, Ralph.
0: Yeah, it, this doesn't look good for me in all my opinions, does it? Um, uh, everything that you said it would happen in this game happened. Uh, I think that you saw that, you know, Washington's got a good running back, but not an elite running back. Um, that Jacob Eason stat line is better than really it was because if you, I, I, he had less than 100 yards passing Correct. going into that second half. The only caveat that I might offer is that these are college kids starting a game after already getting amped for a game and then having to come back down and get back up. That could have affected it in some way. I'm not, I'm not using it as an excuse. I'm just saying it's literally the only thing that I could dip into because, um, I mean, this was, this was quite a performance by Cal's defense. Uh, but then you, you run into the whole situation of like, can you be right about both things? Or does one thing negate you being right about the other? You're high on this Cal defense. You're also low on Jacob Eason, and so from my perspective, I'm like, okay, well, which is it then? Because to in order to do both, you take credit away from both. And I know you want to give credit to both of both of your opinions, and I feel like maybe Cal's defense is the one that 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 really forced this. Maybe he's a good quarterback, but maybe he's just not play against Cal's defense good, you know. And so uh, I.
1: Uh, uh, NFL level quarterbacks like if you're gonna if people are were projecting him to be the best player in the conference or the conference player of the year you have to perform reasonably well against the best defenses like you can't have games like this against great defenses if you are a top tier quarterback maybe he does only finish with 240 yards and a touchdown and a pick or two touchdowns and no picks or somewhere around there. Didn't have to be an elite and a stellar game, but it should have been better. Uh, but if I'm Washington, the thing that I am really pointing to that I am excited about is Ahmed. They're running back because he's, he's, he's a little, he's a little jitterbug and, and he's super fast He's going to hit a lot of home runs this year when they play some of the more inferior defenses in the Pac-12. When they play against the Oregon States, when they play against, uh, you know Arizona and Colorado, even when they play those teams, he is going to have probably two hundred yards in those games because he's so fast and Cal tackled so well, and I was like, oh, wow, he was always one tackle away one thing away from breaking loose and I thought when Washington was up 10-0 at halftime well right before halftime and then Cal ended up getting a field goal I was like hmm I, I actually tweeted out I said well I'm gonna go to sleep now because I think Washington has enough points to win the game because Chase Garbers who while we're talking about Jacob Eason Chase Garbers Cal's quarterback finished 11 for 18 for 111 yards. And I looked at his face multiple times in the game. There was like, you know how you look at people's face sometimes in their body language and you feel like it can inspire confidence or project, you know, leadership or strength. Chase Garbage does the complete opposite. Like he doesn't inspire like or evoke an emotion to me. Like, wow, like I know that kid's going to get it. I know he's going to get it. You know, like when you look at uh, some of the other quarterbacks who've gone through the Pac-12 or even have gone through Cal, the Aaron Rodgers, the Jarrett Goffs, these guys, they they have a little steel in their eyes, a little ice coldness in their eyes. And Chase Garbers, he just looks like a nice kid. He looks like a kid that you don't mind your daughter dating just, hey, come on. Hey, how are you? Can I help you across the street? You know, like he he's the guy that, he looks like he knocks a guy down in the game it will, if he weren't a quarterback and would, would help him up and say, oh, man, I'm sorry. Let, let me dust you off.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I've, I've interviewed the kid a couple of times, and he is, the, he, he is a really, really good dude. He almost ended up at Arizona State, if not for uh, Ryan Kelly, flipping from Oregon to ASU, which actually set off the biggest chain reaction in the history of recruiting. But we'll get into that at another date and time. I had to learn a new name, though, because of this game, and that's Marcel Dancy, former Laney uh, Community College running back who (laughs) scored Cal's only two touchdowns in the third quarter. And I was like, oh, it looks like Cal's got another weapon. I wasn't expecting that. And so uh, shout-out to him because that's a a long – Juco's a long road. And then, you know, he only appeared in four games last year, um, and he was able to use that redshirt rule. So he's a 21-year-old redshirt junior, and all of a sudden he's the hero beating Washington at Washington.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah, I loved it. Like, I, I thought Dancy was impressive. I also thought their other running back, Christopher Brown Jr., was impressive. Because Cal ended up, including Chase Garber, who's running for 192 yards and two touchdowns on 38 carries, which is good. I mean, Washington is what's expected to be an yeah. elite elite defense, and you didn't expect them to get run on like that. Like, you, the, the, the history said, especially when – Chase Garbers is not an elite passer because a lot of times when you get elite passers, sometimes you get big runs because the team is having to defend against the pass until that last series where Chase Garbers let them down to the end of the game. uh, He just sat back, tossed a couple balls up, got a pass interference, got one catch. I was sitting there like, um, you know that all they're going to do is run the football, right? They're not going to challenge you deep and Washington still couldn't stop it. They played the game in a phone booth. And this is why I said at the beginning of the season that Cal is the dark horse team in the Pac-12. They are the most underrated team, and this is a team that can not only like like compete and make life tough for all the rest of the teams in the north, but if Garber's plays better than he did today, well against Washington that this is a team that can possibly even win the Pac-12 North. Like, they could sneak up. I mm, I don't know if they can beat Oregon, but if Oregon messes around and slips up to Washington or something like like that, this is a team that can really be in it all the way to the end, like all the way to to the last weeks of the game against Stanford and UCLA, be right there in the hunt.
0: All they have to do is protect the football. That's it. That's it. And they'll be in every game.
1: Total, totally agree. Last year, I think they only averaged twenty points a game, but they only gave up nineteen points a game, which is fantastic. Um, the next game, which is
0: exactly how this score ended last night, y- which is wild. Yep,
1: a hundred percent. I was like, wow, they're 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 on their season averages. The next game up, I was pleasantly surprised about, but I still had some negative takeaways about this game. Oregon beat Nevada seventy-seven to six. And you're probably wondering, George, how the hell do you have something negative to say about this game? The Herbert threw uh, touchdowns to five different wide receivers. You know, he finished with 310 yards. Uh, Darian Felix rushed for 80 yards and a touchdown. C.J. Verdell, 60 yards and a touchdown. They rushed for a total of 221 yards. All of that. Okay, here is my problem. First thing is, I do think that there was a little bit of shell shock coming out in the game from the Auburn game, and they and you had Herbert miss a couple throws early. I love the fact that Marcus Arroyo was aggressive all freaking game, which he has to do all season long, but here is the negative. I don't like Oregon in their pistol offense with the running back starting behind the quarterback and them doing the, uh, the majority of their running plays from there. I think that the, the the running game should be more effective. I mean, 39 carries, 222 yards, that's decent. But, and aside from that 162-yard run, their biggest gains were like 19, 17, 11. Like, you need to start rattling off some big plays in the run game if you want to be successful and put yourself in the national championship conversation. That was my only takeaway from Oregon in this game. They dominated their defenses spectacular. The only reason why they gave up six points is because the there was a punt that was muffed by, not by the returner, but, why, but by one of the punt return members. The ball accidentally hit him. That's the only reason why they got six points. They would have had three points. So what were your takeaways, Ralph?
0: Um, I, I don't have any complaints because I would love to be in a situation where fourteen different guys catch a pass for 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 the offense that I am watching, uh, where I don't let's see, like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine guys are in on a tackle for a loss. Um, this was a complete performance on both sides of the football against uh, Nevada. I am going to mispronounce Nevada because they deserve it after this loss against the Nevada team that uh, that beat Purdue. The, the week before, and so um, this is a I, to me, this was a good win. It was a complete win. Nick, you can you can nitpick, but at the same time, like you you have to admit, you are nitpicking. Like you, you, this is any time that you can drop seventy seven, Tyler Shuck through two touchdowns. I absolutely love that kid, and I can't wait for him to get his shot. Um, but you know,
1: I like him too. I'm excited. The one about thing
0: him. in this game that I would have liked to see more of is just get the ball to Sean Dollars in space. Because it would have been fun. This would have been the perfect game to kind of showcase what he can do. Um, Other than that, I mean, this is perfect. Everything about this from top to bottom was was an absolutely perfect win for Oregon in my mind.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and they needed that. They needed to put that up on a national stage after losing to Auburn. They needed to put up a bucket. They needed to put up a dominating win where people say, oh, okay, well, that's what they're supposed to do. Because a lot of the takeaways from the Auburn game said, Oh, Oregon is a good football team. They kind of let it slip away. And then when you bounce back like this, people, people, it reaffirms what people thought. Um, The next game up, Washington State fans are extremely upset with me. They were upset with me after last week's Pac-12 power rankings. After I put them out, they were upset. They were upset that Washington State was ranked so low. And they come out and they put fifty nine points on northern Colorado. They went fifty nine to seventeen after last week beating new mexico state fifty eight to seven like oh, we have the most efficient offense in the nation uh well, Washington thought they did too until they played somebody. Washington thought that they were 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 uh grease lightning until they played a real team. You're playing f c s teams you're playing uh, some of the worst in nor in New Mexico state. One of the five worst teams in all the college football of the FBS. And you want me to give you credit and act like you are like some special team. How about, no, I'm not giving you credit until you actually play somebody. And that's not going to happen until you get in the conference play. I, but I I will say if they dominate Houston this upcoming week, I will give them a little bit of credit. But they're not gonna get any credit at all until they uh dominate Houston, dominate UCLA, and then beat Utah. I don't care how they win, just beat Utah and you will get all the credit that you want.
0: Yeah, I mean they they uh they got a bunch of extra possessions in this game. They had four um four fumble recoveries. This is a I mean, this was a big time mismatch. Uh, we talked about it going in. Washington State did exactly what they should have done. And coming out of the game, I still have one concern, which is, you know, if you're up this big on a team, why do you still need to be running the air raid? Why don't you use that opportunity to sharpen the run game that you're going to need when you actually face a team that you can't beat with by being one-dimensional? And so, like, good on them to go 33 of 42 for 481 yards, five touchdowns, and a pick. That's perfect Washington State football. That's perfect air raid football. I get it. But, I mean, they combined combined for 14 uh, carries that weren't by quarterbacks. They combined for 14 carries that were not by quarterbacks in a game that they spent the majority of the time up 30 to 40 points it would have been a great time to actually work on some of this stuff. They did score twice on the ground. So, you know, and, and your, your guy, Max Borgie looks fantastic. He really does. Um, but and, I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where it's like, man, you know what you're doing works work on the stuff that might not. And so, you know, and, and, and not to be too much of a football guy and say like you shouldn't be throwing when you're up, you know, 40 points or whatever, that's just part of your offense. So I get that. And it's not, it's not your job to stop you. It's the defense's job to stop you. But, When you can't pass against Cal, when you can't pass against Washington, when Oregon is giving or when uh, when uh, Utah is giving you fits because they just plan on you making these quick throws every single time, can you switch it up? And I think this would have been a good opportunity for them to go through some of that. And they did not do it. So we'll see if that hurts them in the long run. But as it stands right now, Washington is one of the teams that's doing everything that they're supposed to. While you have teams out there like Arizona, who is not against inferior competition and like Arizona, who is giving a bunch of points up to inferior competition. I think Washington state's doing about everything you could expect of them. Okay. I can,
1: I can accept that Ralph. I think that was a great, a great little tidbit of running the football. G- gauge grew bold and the third quarterback did only throw three or four passes but there was clearly not an emphasis on running the football so I'm excited to see them play Washington um, Houston next week that'll give us a little bit more information but we still don't know much about them the shocker of the night was Stanford and USC for me I had heard that KJ Costello was going to play, but at the last minute Stanford decided to hold him out just for precautionary reasons. He was feeling fine, past concussion tests, all that stuff. They decided to hold him out. And with USC starting a freshman quarterback, uh, a kid that wasn't highly recruited, this was a great performance by him. And you never like to see a player get hurt. But JT Daniels going down was the best thing to happen to USC. The best thing to happen to USC. Because the guy who should be starting for them is starting for them now. And that is a little bit of me of an indictment of Clay Helton. Because rumors around people who I know cover USC said that Slovis had been pushing JT Daniels and at times looked like the better quarterback. And if you're Clay Helton, you have to have the guts to pull that trigger and sit JT Daniels if you know this kid, Slovis is better. That's the first thing. Because Mark Helfrich, when he was the coach at Oregon, and Justin Herbert, a three-star guy or a two-star guy out of Eugene, nobody expected much out of him, they had a transfer from uh, Montana, I believe, and they put it, it was D- Dakota Procup, and Mark Helfertz wanted to quote unquote do the right thing and give Dakota Procup the first shot because he transferred and he didn't want him to waste his last year, but in reality, that's not the coach's job. His job is to make sure that the best people are in the best positions to win the game, and that's not what. Clay Helton did that wasn't what Mark Helfrich did and that's my complaint about some of the coaching but this kid Slovis came in 28 for 33 377 yards and three touchdowns he was fearless but it does help when you're throwing to the best wide receiving core in the country yeah
0: uh, I don't blame Clay Helton for this one um, as uh, there's going to be a lot of people trying to figure out who Keaton Slovis is this week I'm one of maybe eight to ten people who could tell you because I spent a lot of time actually following him around and watching him at the high school level. And I said on last week's podcast, the kid is a practice god, an absolute god in practice. He played well for his high school, which was not a good football team. He played well for his high school, but he never really faced any competition. uh, By my count, there was a time where he played against a D1 caliber defensive lineman uh, when he was a junior, and when he was a senior, there were two times that he ever played any competition that even had any FCS-level uh, players on the defensive side of the football. So he, he, he didn't oh, wow. play against anyone. Um, he looked good in those games. But when he got all his offers, and I'm going to keep repeating this until people start to repeat it on their own, he got all his offers between March and May before his senior season. So the spring after his junior year. And the way he got all those offers is colleges would come to Desert Mountain High School, which is tucked away in North Scottsdale. They'd go to Desert Mountain High School and they would watch him throw and hit 26 of 27 targets in a t-shirt and shorts. And they'd think to themselves, holy hell. They'd look at his film and they'd say like, yeah, that's good enough. He got his first offer in March, the spring after his junior year. And two months later, he had 17 offers. The one he wanted all along was USC. And the minute he got it, The minute he got it, he committed. He went out there, he drove out, he took a visit, and he committed. So you know, there's going to be a lot of ASU and U of A fans uh, wringing their hands about why we didn't offer Keaton Slovis, especially if he he, uh, keeps this up. The truth is they had other people that they liked better. They both went out to see him. They had other people that they liked better, and he was always going to commit to USC no matter what if that offer came in.
1: Here is the problem with recruiting, Ralph. Is that a lot of times, and you know this because you covered a high school scene like seriously, is a lot of times coaches, when a kid hasn't been offered by other people, they don't have that courage sometimes to say, oh, wait, I'm going to be the first person to offer them. They say something has to be wrong because he doesn't have offers and people aren't all on his job.
0: Yes. So coaches get paid a ridiculous amount of money to do their jobs and everyone assumes that they're good at recruiting. But the truth is like your entire job is entirely consumed with trying to win football games. The recruiting thing, sometimes to be good at that, you have to not be that good at the X's and O's part or the motivating players part you know, or, or the just overall team management. Sometimes there's got to be a little, a little give and take. It's really hard to be that adept at recruiting. So a lot of the times people rely on other people. And I can tell you then when it comes to Keaton Slovis, there were USC coaches in Arizona asking scouts around here, Hey, who's the good quarterback that we should go and look at? Like they, they didn't know. So then they went to watch Keaton Slovis throw and they were, and then just like everybody else, they were like, wow. This kid can really wing it in a t-shirt and shorts or in pads in a practice. He took that same thing to USC. He's looked that good the entire time at USC, but you have to ask yourself if you're a coach, can he do it when it matters? And the only way that you would find out is to put him out there in a situation that matters. And if you still have a pretty good quarterback in JT Daniels, I don't blame Clay Helton for not just pulling the trigger on this. He did name him number two over two already established guys, and so I think that took some guts in it of itself, but now you're seeing what he can do when he gets time. 28 of 33 for 377 yards against Stanford, and I know Stanford's fallen off a little bit, and I think they'll continue to fall off because all of the rules uh, that the NCAA is putting in place kind of work against them with earlier commitment dates and uh, you know when people can visit and all this other stuff. I think that everything sort of plays against Stanford. Uh, just a little bit, and then everything's getting more and more and more athletic. So Stanford, you know, is kind of an older style, and people have a element now that they know how to get around it. Um, but so I, I don't want to take anything away from what Slovis did, but it's not like he beat like a top ten Stanford team. He beat a good Stanford team, not a great one, but he did it in oh. great fashion. Like this is an incredible football performance that USC fans will remember forever.
1: Okay. And yes, they will. They were super excited. The Coliseum was starting to rock. They get they're getting excited. But here is the only thing. I think that there is a different outcome in the game. Instead of Mills being quarterback at Stanford, if KJ Costello is quarterbacking Stanford, I think it's a different game. They're going to convert more on third down, which they weren't good at. He was slightly over 50% of his passes. You know, I mean, like, that's the problem is that Stanford did not have their full complement of offense. And I do believe if it were JT Daniels versus KJ Costello, okay. Stanford wins. If it's KJ Costello versus Slovis in the exact same situation, I think that it's a close game. But USC's wide receivers are special. Tyler Vons, Ross St. Brown, Michael Pittman Jr., I mean, these kids are are fantastic, dude. Like, they can't be guarded one-on-one, except by, you know, like you're going to have – you need NFL-caliber cornerbacks and safeties to guard these guys one-on-one. That is the only way. And that opened up the running game for, uh, for uh, Malapai, Stephen Carr. Even though they didn't have big games, they still had three touchdowns. But USC does have trouble running the football. 28 carries, 115 yards. They scored really close, but you didn't see – I do believe Stanford's defense is good, but as good as they were doing on offense, I think that that you would have expected USC to be able to run the ball a little bit better. But the noise I've been hearing out here, Ralph, from their, their fans is that USC fans aren't necessarily happy – With Graham Harrell because he's coming out throwing
0: the ball so much, and they well, they're always going to find something to be mad about because they're just used to being mad at this point. Like they're going to be mad until this team uh, goes and wins a couple of games that really matter, and at that point they won't have been able to enjoy those wins because they were mad the whole time. So, like, I'm not. I'm uh, USC fans are just kind of perpetually upset at this point. I think that they should look at this game and say, this is a really bright spot. This gives us a little bit of hope. We finally saw St. Brown used in the offense the way that he should be used in the offense. Tyler Vaughn's is very obviously a dominant receiver. We got a 2 sports star Drake London involved in the offense now, and he's a giant. Like He's like six foot five. And so you, you've got all these weapons everywhere. Uh, the defense looks okay. They put Offensive lineman Austin Jackson on the field goal block team, and he blocked a field goal. Everybody's contributing. All these huge egos in USC, you start winning, and they can rally around a guy who's a really low key personality uh, like Keaton Slovis, you know, who who could be an absolute star. Um, And then, you know, if you have these guys start playing as one, they could be really special this year. This is why I picked them to win this game months ago. This is why I picked them to win the Pac-12 South. I think this USTC team, regardless of who's playing quarterback, if they all get on the same page, they could do some really, really great things. And as long as the coaching staff doesn't get in the way of this talent.
1: JT Daniels does not have the same game as Slovis. I don't believe it. But do you think that this game – and this dominant performance, because it was that, quiets the Clay Helton rule.
0: I think that you and I said, there was a lot of people that said so. that they would start one and four. And you and I said they have a much better chance of starting four and one. And I feel like we are very alone in that. Um, but the answer is ultimately no, because again, they, in 2017, had a fantastic year. They were down in 2018 with a freshman quarterback and everybody wanted to fire him. So nothing will ever quiet these fans. They're just going to be mad. They should all be mailing, emailing, I'm mad at unafraidshow.com and just channeling that energy into giving us content instead of just being upset in their living rooms by themselves. They're just going to be mad regardless. This team could win forever, and the first time that they don't, they will be equally as mad as they were last year when they were 5-7. and seven. You cannot fix how into their feelings USC fans are right now. USC can only just hope to keep winning. That's all you can do. The standard at USC is win. And so if you keep winning, you keep them a little bit quieter. Uh,
1: you know, they'll. Oh, you, you, USC fans are secretly wanting them to lose because they want Urban Meyer. I've talked to four or five of them. A couple boosters. They're like, oh, man, I love I love the win yesterday. But uh, I don't know, man. I really want Urban Meyer. I like, do be happy that you're winning. You had a dominant performance. Maybe Clay Helton can be the guy a little bit. Maybe he can I mean, it's just it's just bad, dude. Like, un- ungratefulness. Uh, the next game up, we talked about it a little bit earlier so we can be quick on it, is I was completely surprised in a good way that Colorado was able to beat Nebraska. Not only when they were down 17-0, I mean, because that was an obvious shot because they had nothing going in the first half. I did not think that they were going to be able to be competitive in the game. But they were able to come out, come back, win in overtime, score 24 points in the fourth quarter, 24 to tie it at 31. Some of it was Nebraska's fault, some busted coverages and um, turnovers. But at the same time, they still did it. and. And um, Adrian Martinez, their quarterback, had three turnovers himself. He lost two fumbles, and he threw an interception. That's how Colorado got back in the football game. And I was just – I am impressed by Mel Tucker's team. Uh, I am, you know, like we said earlier, Lavishka Chenault in the stat book. It appeared he added no value. Five catches, thirty-one yards, six rushes. I'm sorry, three rushes for six yards, and a lost fumble. Like that's not what you expect out of your guy that you want to be a Heisman Trophy candidate. And I think that after two weeks, we can put Lavisca Chenault's Heisman Trophy hopes to bed. Right? Even though Colorado's two and zero.
0: No, bury them. They're gone, and 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 it doesn't. And and with Colorado winning, it doesn't matter. Because what we thought is that Colorado was going to be absolutely terrible, and that was going to be the one bright spot. Uh, LaVisca Chenault doesn't care if he doesn't get the ball as long as Colorado's winning, so we shouldn't care for him. Like he's a team guy, and 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 if and if he's not going to be standing in New York representing a three and nine team, and he's actually going to be at a bowl game instead, um, fantastic. But guess what? You just found out that you can't bracket him all game long. Because other people, Stephen Montez threw for 375 yards because Nebraska was so afraid of Chenault. They were so afraid of him. KD Nixon had 148 yards receiving, and, and they just they just don't want Chenault to go off, and so that opens the door for other people. And it's a big credit to Stephen Montez for being able to find other receivers because that, to me, is the uh, one of the telltale marks of a good quarterback. Uh, as I watched for years, and Manny Wilkins was never really able to develop a relationship with very many other receivers outside of Nikhil Harry. Like, and if they took Nikhil Harry away, it was going to be a really long day for Arizona State. That's not the case in Colorado. Steven Montez can find other guys, and he can do it in a hostile home environment. And they can keep their heads in the game to turn around and outscore Nebraska 34-14 uh, to 14 in the second half in overtime.
1: Yeah, this is this was definitely a quality win because i picked nebraska to win the big 10 east they may still do it but i mean so for right now i am much higher on colorado than i was a week ago or even coming into this year uh now we will go to the most embarrassing game of the week the most embarrassing game of the week was san diego state at ucla San Diego uh UCLA is at the – they got their average number of points. They're averaging 14 points a game over two games. They scored 14 against Cincinnati, 14 against uh 14 against San Diego State. But the the only problem is they don't have Cows defense that can hold people to 10 points. I mean, this is just their play is just a bomb a I I can't even think of Proper words to describe it. Dorian Thompson Robinson has been awful. He was more efficient this game, 24 or 35 uh, on a touchdown, no interceptions. But he did fumble twice. He lost a fumble. Like, this is – I don't even know what to make of this team, Ralph. Like, I, I I had them as, like, my sleeper to win the South and that they were going to shock the world. And the only thing that they've done is shock me and make me look like an idiot.
0: Yeah, I mean, uh, I are you mad? <laughs> do you have to email? Do you have to email yourself? Like, I, what, what, do you, what do you think that they can do to get it right? Like I, like I said, I'm surprised at how inept offensively that they have looked. Um, defensively was a little bit embarrassing, too. Ryan Agnew is not a good quarterback. He went 23 or 31 for 293 yards against a defense that couldn't really get very much penetration, and then when he did scramble out of the pocket, they weren't really doing anything about it. Uh, you should never give up seven catches to 131 yards to Kobe Smith if you are a Pac-12 team. That should not happen, um, but this game turned out the way that I thought it would. The only thing that I think you have to be super worried about if, you are, uh, if, if you're if UCLA is San Diego State was going to come out and give the ball to Juwan Washington 30 times, right? That's what I said. And Jawan Washington didn't even really get in the game until the second quarter. They gave him the ball 20 times, and he only had 41 yards rushing. And so and they still just squeezed the life out of UCLA. Uh, I don't even think San Diego State played as well as they could, and and this was still a two-score win on the road, and San Diego State has never beaten UCLA in the history of these two schools. Um, you can't feel good if you're UCLA fan,
1: no, how bad is it that if you told them that they would give up less than two yards per rush and the team would rush the ball forty-seven times? They would give up less than two yards per rush, only one point five, one point six yards per rush, you would and the quarterback only threw one touchdown, you would think, okay, that's a guaranteed win. But UCLA hasn't been able to run the football. They averaged like two and a half yards a carry them themselves they i mean I, I i guess their defense did okay i would say their defense was okay besides the ryan ryan agnew part they stopped the run but the, their offense like you can this is like the problem with michigan you can have as great a defense as you want to but if you can't score points like this is terrible and ucla is fighting with oregon state and arizona For the worst team in the Pac-12. For the worst team. I mean, this is absolutely incredible. Um, uh, The the next game is Arizona 65, Northern Arizona 41. This is the game that you went to. I am. Yeah. This is trash by Arizona. I'm sorry. They gave up all these freaking points. They gave up 41 points. 41 points to Northern Arizona. An FCS team. Make Tell me that there's some silver lining there, Ralph.
0: Uh, it was 51-13 at half. So um, it was 51-13 at half, and Arizona wasn't really calling all that great of a game offensively because they could have run for 20, 30 yards of carry if they wanted to, and they kept throwing the football. They just kept throwing the football. And, it, I mean, Khalil Tate was like 14-17. to 17. He did everything that – could have been asked for him, but why? Why, if you broke a 98-yard run for a touchdown, you had 200 yards rushing in the first quarter, why do anything else? Like, why why not just get your running backs in some award contention? And they just kept throwing the football. They played three quarterbacks. I think all three had passing attempts. They just kept wanting to throw, wanting to throw, wanting to throw, and I think that uh, that allowed Northern Arizona in the second half. And Northern Arizona's got a really good offense. They got a fifth-year quarterback. They don't have much of a D, but they have a really good offense and some really experienced kids. Um, and so, you know, it was just a situation where uh, they, uh, University of Arizona doesn't pressure the quarterback at all. And so if you give a guy like this time, he'll figure it out. And, um, and so, you know, he had over 300 yards passing. Uh, Case Cookus did um, against Arizona. But at no point was the game really ever in question or in contention. Again, it was 51-13 at half. And Arizona could have scored a hundred if they just would have run the ball. Well,
1: I don't, uh, but they didn't. I didn't need Arizona to score the ball more. I didn't need them to score any more points. I just, even when you put your backups in, you should not give up forty-one points to Northern Arizona. It's just, it's just unacceptable. That's the thing I didn't. All like. right, and
0: so I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna interrupt. I'm gonna inter- interrupt for a, a special edition of Casting Stones. I freaking hate when people use that excuse. I hate when people say because and it happens when I cover high school. It happens all the time. I say like, man, this team's defense. You know, they gave up forty last week, and someone will always jump in and say, "Hey, that was second and third string." Do you have the same name across your jersey? Then it happened to you. It happened to you. You are all on the same team. You are all being coached by the same coaches. You have to own it. You can't have that individualistic mentality of "I got mine." You all have to be on the same page. Uh, if, if your backups give up 30 points, you gave up 30 points. Like You're on the same team. It never has mattered. It will always count in the stats as the overall defense. You can't go back and make excuses and work your way backwards. And this is an FCS team. It's an FCS team, so you don't even have the right to be using that excuse anyway. It's a bunch of guys who you chose not to offer that are doing it to guys that you chose to offer. So that's my special edition of Casting Stones. Your backups are you. You are all on the same team. The name is on the jersey. Whatever school it is, if they give up points, you give up points. Quit trashing your own teammates just because they didn't perform as well as you.
1: Oh, and the other part about it is this is football. Everybody gets hurt. So guess who's going to have to play at some point in time? Those same backups that you say gave up all those points. That means you have a bad defense. That's exactly what, yes. that, what that means. There's no way around it. Oh, and the and the gem of the night. The, the George was right part of – the second George was right part of the night that finished up about close to 2 o'clock in the morning too was Oregon State 28, Hawaii 31. I don't even know where to begin on this game because we knew that Oregon State would have trouble on defense. We knew that. But what we did not expect was Jake Luton, their quarterback, to throw for below 50% against Hawaii's Swiss cheese defense. Swiss cheese defense, he only managed 169 yards passing and a touchdown. Jamar Jefferson, 31 carries, 183 yards and a touchdown, and Pierce, their second string back, seven carries, 79 yards, and two more touchdowns. Like, they should have been running the ball from start to finish, and they should have been able to pass the ball better. It was atrocious. It was bad defense. I, I can't even come up with enough Words to talk about how bad of a loss this is for Oregon State. I think it was worse than the Arizona loss only because Oregon State saw Arizona lose already. So they should know to be on upset alone. I'm a little
0: bit upset at uh Oregon State because I think they gave the ball to Jamar Jefferson four times in the fourth quarter total. Um, and uh he was having his way with the defense. I don't think Artavis Pierce got the ball. In the fourth quarter, and it was tied twenty-eight twenty-eight going in, and so you go out there, you're throwing the ball. It's not working. The game is tied. Run your offense. Do what has been working. This was a coaching issue. Like this loss is on the coaches. It's not on the. It's 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 not on the players. It has nothing to do with the players. And so, um, but I will say that uh, I think we found out at this point that uh, the receivers out at Hawaii are the real deal. Last year they had a guy go. Uh, last week they had a guy go off against Arizona. This week they. They had a guy go off against Oregon State to the tune of 10 catches, 190 yards, and four touchdowns. Um, Yeah, JoJo Ward. And so just absolute monster performance two weeks in a row from different Hawaii receivers. And if you're Washington, you got to be looking at this like, uh (laughs) uh-oh. you got to be prepared.
1: Oh, if I'm Washington, I'm saying I am not taking this game lightly. If I'm Chris Peterson, I'm saying, you know what, guys, they beat Arizona. They beat Oregon State. They believe they can beat you too. And if you in your mind think for 1 second anything other than that that they can win and they can beat you, you will get beat or be in a dog fight too. This would be a and a comedy of errors. A like just a the worst possible scenario for the Pac-12. If Hawaii beats all three teams, and if they beat Washington, dude, that is going to be a national story, and the pack twelve has zero shot of getting into the playoff besides Oregon or watch or an undefeated Utah or a or Oregon winning out and trashing everybody. It will be over for everybody else. It will be over for New Year's six bowl games except for the Rose Bowl. It would be the most disastrous scenario of the season.
0: Just learn your lesson and run the ball. Just run the ball. Just that That's all you got. Just run the ball against Hawaii for the love of God.
1: I 100% agree. Now, Ralph, it is time for our power rankings. Our power rankings for week three. I got mine ready. Got mine locked and loaded. Some fans are going to be upset. Because I base my power rankings on three criteria. That is it. Three criteria. I don't give any consideration for the eye test, for future games. The only thing that the only three things that matter are quality wins, your schedule play, and your dominance. There's no bias. There is no uh, there's no, you know, home cooking. This is just a matter of who wins, who loses. That is it. And the schedule that you play and the amount of dominance that you show. So who do you have in your 12 spot? Well, actually just 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 give us your um, 12 to 6 and then I'll give mine and then we'll go all the way down.
0: Yeah, so I'll give you I'll give you my bottom six and my criteria is basically just feelings based. There's no science in this. I look at these teams, I look at what they have left, and I look at what they've done, and I project out. So my number 12 is Oregon State. My number 11 is UCLA. Despite dropping 65, I've still got Arizona in the 10 spot. I dropped Arizona State to my number 9. Colorado comes in at number 8. And at number 7, I've currently got Stanford.
1: Wow. Ralph, Ralph, Ralph. You have finally come along to the good guys, man. We are we are aligned on every single one of those except for one. I got Oregon State at number 12. UCLA is fighting to get in that spot. I have not been able to have – I in, in the power <laughs> rankings, I've been doing it for years. Dude. And Oregon State has – this would be the first time that they weren't in the – last spot since I've been doing Power Rangers on Unafraid Show or for uh, the the, uh, fan site or anywhere else I've written. This is the first time that there has been a legitimate argument for someone else being in the 12th spot. There's a legitimate... UCLA is trying, but Oregon State lost to Hawaii. I mean, when you lose to a Mountain West team after somebody else already lost to him and it's not Boise State, you are going to get moved down. And you, well, they, they, they're in a Judas fight. They can't go down anymore. I got UCLA 11. Arizona 10. Arizona State 9 because their offensive line play was just uh, just horrible. I got Washington State at 8. I know their fans are going to be upset. I know you're probably upset too, Ralph. But I I don't know anything about this team. You haven't played anybody. you played uh, the worst FBS team in Northern Colorado. I know nothing about you. So guess what? You don't get credit. Your dominance has been spectacular. But we thought that Washington was going to be better, too. And we saw what happened when they played Cal. And I got Stanford at number seven. Ralph, can you believe that out of six picks, we agreed on all of them except for?
0: I mean, I think the results are doing it for us. We have no choice at some point but to agree on some of this. Uh, My number six is Washington State. It's just competition level related, um, which moves me to number five, USC. I I think there's still some unanswered questions. I can't go ahead and just go make them a top three team off of one performance of Keaton Slovis, but they're on their way. Number four for me is Washington, which means one spot ahead of that because they were one point ahead of them in the game is that number three, I have Cal, which I don't feel that great about considering that they they, they haven't shown much offensively, but the results are there and this defense is going to keep them in every single game. At number two, I have Oregon. That um, I think they'd be far and away the number one if they were able to pull it out against Auburn. But all I can think about is that second half and some of the decisions that were made by coaches that actually took that game away from them. And the team that I'm sitting with number one right now, because the rest of the Pac-12 South doesn't look all that strong, uh, is Utah. And the reason they, primarily for that is that they know what they're working with and they do what they do and their defense has lived up to the hype so far.
1: Oh, Ralph, wow. I, I, I have to be honest with you. I absolutely hate your number six
0: to one. I hate it. I I could not I, I I don't like I don't like it that much either. I'm glad we do this every week so that hopefully it will it'll change it. I bit. got
1: Colorado in at number six. There that was a good win against Nebraska. They came back and they get points for their their schedule that they played. They played a better schedule than than Washington State. They have a quality win and they haven't shown a lot of dominance, but they, they they played well against Colorado State offensively. And then in the second half against Nebraska, and they showed some grit. Colorado at number six. Washington Huskies at number five. That was a... It, it Like, there's no way to say it. Like, they they don't have a quality win yet. They just have a loss. So that's why they're at the five spot. They will have plenty of time to climb back up. But number four, I have USC at 2-0. They beat Stanford, albeit without their quarterback. I know USC fans, oh, we look so great. Yeah, but you were playing against Stanford's backup quarterback. Had this been against KJ Costello and that's were as dominant of a performance, they would be higher. Number three, I have the Utah Utes. This list kind of shows how I feel about the Pac-12 South in general. Overall, I, they believe the North is much stronger. Utah still have uh, issues with their quarterback situation in terms of their long-term future, but they have a quality win against BYU, and they played against Northern Illinois. But the number two team, I know this seems erratic and irrational, but last week I had Cal was sitting at the number eight spot, and now they're sitting at the number two spot. The reason being, they have the best win In the entire Pac-12. The best win. And that's against Washington. Their defense showed up. It feels feels icky to have them at number two. Because their offense is is not good enough to get it done. It's not. They're going to tumble down the rankings. Because they're going to lose. Because their offense is not good enough. And at the one spot, I got Oregon. They bounced back from the Oregon loss. And just absolutely trashed Nevada. They got... They get some points for schedule because they've played probably the best schedule out of the Pac-12 team so far, I would say. And their dominance in this game was absolutely on max. Team looked good overall. The defense looks phenomenal. So that's why I got a one in one team sitting at the number one spot because they are the best team
0: all right I mean I don't I don't disagree with because it's sort of like Cal sort of cleared the way for it to be feasible for Oregon to be number one and then looking ahead it, you could put Utah at number two on your side because it's like well what who's going to challenge them like I, I think that USC has yep. a legitimate shot at home but like who else Maybe, maybe Washington State can give them a game, but it's going to be a tough road for, for people who have to play uh, against Utah this year if they can get uh, – if they score two touchdowns in the first half and they're able to just build from there, this is going to be a really hard team to compete with.
1: I would totally agree with that. You guys, thank you guys for listening to the Pac-12 Apostles. Thank you for dealing with me and my voice and my post-nasal drip, dude. I am – exhausted and tired but i want to thank you guys please share the feed tell a friend about the back 12 Apostles. um hit us up on twitter i'm at george reister w-r-i-g-h-s-t-e-r and that's ralph amson at ralph a-m-s-a-m-s-d-e-n and we appreciate it remember the podcast comes out every monday and every thursday so tune in subscribe so you can get it immediately appreciate your time appreciate your energy peace out we will catch you guys later